Hey there, thank you for tuning in to the podcast. We really appreciate it, whether you're a student who missed a teaching, a parent of a student, a past student, whatever. We really appreciate you listening. We think these teachings are valuable, and uh, we're just glad to get this content out in as many ways as possible. So thanks again for listening. You're about to hear the sermon that I preached on Genesis 2, 1 through 3, on day 7, and uh, the day of the Sabbath. And it's been a really important teaching for me personally, and I hope that it's also beneficial to you as you listen. So it has been a while since we've been in our Genesis series, Um, so let's just take some time to review what we've talked about so far. First things first, we talked about how we're going to read and study Genesis. There's a lot of ways that we could go through Genesis, but for us, especially in our worship services, we are going to read and study Genesis with the end in mind, looking to see Jesus in Genesis. We believe this is how Jesus taught his disciples to study the Hebrew Bible and all of Scripture. So that is how we are going to study Genesis. And As we begin to study the first pages of Genesis, it becomes evident that this is a story that's very much shaped and structured within its ancient context, meaning that it's giving us an uh, origin story, not in terms of science or materials, but in terms of theology and how they understood creation in terms of function. So clarifying what we shouldn't look for in the first few pages of the Bible really helps us look for the right teachings and what we should see. And as we study the first chapter of Genesis, what we see is a good God ordering a good world for his good purposes. So God is the creator who is bringing order to the cosmos, moving from chaos or non-function to order by setting up functions. And the theological teachings are emphatic. This God is unrivaled. He's sovereign. This is the same God of creation that is the God of salvation for the people of Israel and for all of us. And another important teaching is that mankind has been made to represent God's rule and reign on the earth. However, the creation story is not over. There's still the seventh day, and the seventh day is very, very important. In fact, I think it's the seventh day that gives us the best glimpse of what God is really up to in creation. So we read about the seventh day in the first few verses of Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all of the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So Just pause and read those few verses again, or let the the kind of cadence of that passage hit you again. If you read it and actually think about the collection of phrases, it's actually quite odd. In fact, it has a poetic-like flavor to it. There's a lot of repetition there, and this is even more prevalent in the uh, original Hebrew text. It's basically divided up in the whole uh, passage is... 35 Hebrew words, and it's centered on 
three phrases of seven Hebrew words that all include the seventh day. Now, I'm not going to get into all of that, but if you're able to look at the Hebrew text itself and you go through the first three verses of chapter two, what you'll see is that emphasis on the seventh day being comprised of three phrases of seven, seven Hebrew words. Again, this sounds like a conspiracy theory and it's just crazy to me, but I think that points to the level of intentionality that's behind um, this passage. And the, the intent is to show us this, that the seventh day of creation gives this emphasis to teach the readers that creation culminates in God's rest on the seventh day. The culmination of all of this creation comes down to the seventh day when God rests. And what's the big deal? Honestly, if we're just going to take ourselves out of perhaps your Bible Belt upbringing and read the story as is, it's actually a bit strange. Why do the writers include this and rest on the seventh day as the culminating act of God's creation? Why is rest such a big deal? Why is the seventh day such a big deal? And I think there are two main reasons. One, the divine rest on the seventh day is all about God taking up his residence in his world, exercising his rule and sovereignty. So the emphasis on seven frames creation in terms of God creating the cosmos as his temple. In other words, the number seven in the seventh day, which we have seen emphasized throughout Genesis 1 and particularly emphasized here on day seven, this number seven is often linked with the temple or God's presence throughout scripture. As we move throughout scripture, we see the imagery of creation, of the creation account being used to also speak of the tabernacle and the temple, which were areas of sacred space for God's presence. Now, we're not going to go into all of those connections uh, because a lot of them actually come to fruition in Genesis 2 as well, but there are a few that stand out in relation to Genesis 1 and day 7, and if you pick up a book on Genesis a lot of them will draw out these connections for you. Um, a lot of commentaries do this, so if you're very interested, you can go and dig further there. But these are two instances that I think are really interesting. Uh, for example, the total instructions for the tabernacle, when God gives uh, the instructions to Moses at the end of Exodus on how to build the tabernacle, um, these are all divided into seven sections, and each of them begin with the Lord said to Moses. So as we think back to the creation account, it's also divided into seven sections, seven days, and they all begin with, and God said. So this seems to be a clear link from the tabernacle to creation. Also, much of the tabernacle imagery points back to the creation account. The lights of creation are also used, that same word's used for the lampstand in the tabernacle. The firmament in creation can be compared to the veil, and there's many other of these connections that we could draw. And, and also, I don't think it's any coincidence that the final section of tabernacle instructions concern keeping the Sabbath. So when we see the construction of the ta tabernacle, what we're seeing is similar language to how God created the whole cosmos. The direct correlation being God's cosmos, this world, is originally supposed to be a place that houses God's presence. Another example, Solomon's temple construct, construction lasted seven years. He had a temple inauguration in the seventh month, 
and his final benediction of the temple concerns God giving rest to his people. He says in 1 Kings 8, 56, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according, all, according to all that he promised. So all of this is to say, and again, many more correlations can be noted, that the seventh day of creation and God resting is best understood as the final act of a temple inauguration. So the fact that God rested on the seventh day is more about establishing God's presence in his creation, like a temple, than it is simply about God ceasing from work since it's now finished. So why is the seventh day emphasized? It is because the seventh day emphasizes the most important aspect of creation, that God is taking up residence in his world as the ruler of his world. The idea of rest is more about establishing God's rule and stability than it is about relaxation. It wasn't that God was tired and then wanted to rest. When we read that God rested on the seventh day, we should pause to acknowledge that he is the supreme ruler of the universe. And this is the emphatic conclusion to understanding creation. God is ruling over his world. So we have to ask ourselves, do I think of the world in this way? Does my life reflect that God is on the throne? He's the ruler of all creation, but what about my own heart? As we look at the account of creation, the emphatic claim is God is on the throne of the universe. Does my life reflect that? So there's another important reason that day seven is emphasized in creation. Um, not only is this a statement of God's presence and reign, but it also provides a picture of what a healthy rhythm of work and rest looks like for humans to imitate in God's world. So later in the biblical story, God commands his people to honor the Sabbath, the seventh day, keep it holy, cease from work. And this command is often grounded in the creation account. So humans are to imitate God and cease from work one day a week. Many more passages throughout scripture show this, but one in particular is um, from the Ten Commandments. God commands in Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So God is commanding the people to rest and not work on the seventh day of this week because this is what God did in the week of creation. Uh, N.T. Wright, a great biblical scholar, writes this, Sabbath indicates a rhythm of life in which God's own rhythm of life mysteriously intersects with that of humans, of Israel, and of the whole creation. So again, the emphasis on the seventh day of creation is not only to emphasize God taking up his residence in the world and establishing his rule and reign, although I think that's the main uh, emphasis, but it also provides a picture of what a healthy rhythm of work and rest for us humans in God's world should be. 
So let's bring this to our time and in our lives. What should the Sabbath mean for us? Does this even apply to us? Well, let's consider what the Sabbath is all about and whether it should be a part of a healthy rhythm of work and rest in our life. For one, the Sabbath is a reminder that we are creatures in God's universe. If the seventh day, the Sabbath, is about demonstrating that the cosmos is his temple, where God takes up residence, then this day is reminding us that this is God's world. We pause, we cease, and we rest to acknowledge that this world is not our own. My life is not my own. And this world belongs to God. This is his house. So we do well to ritualize this reminder and take one day every week to acknowledge God's presence and authority in our lives. It's a reminder that we are creatures in God's universe. This is his house. He is in control. He is on the throne. Secondly, the Sabbath is a reminder that our identity is not in what we do or what we produce. Traditionally, the book of Genesis and the rest of the Torah, the first five books of Moses or the Pentateuch, have been attributed to Moses' authorship. And that means that the first readers of this text would have been those rescued from slavery in Egypt. In other words, their lives would have been defined by their work, their labor, and their production. And while work and labor are important to our role as image bearers of God, they do not give us our identity. And Sabbath reminds us of that. Throughout the creation account, we saw this refrain. And it was evening and morning the whatever day. A lot of us don't notice that they mention evening first. Typically, we think of morning beginning the day. But in Jewish tradition, the days begin with sundown, not sunrise. And the rabbis say that this is an important teaching because it reminds us that God desires for our days to begin with rest and not production. It teaches us that our identity is not in what we can produce, but in who God is. And because of that, we're invited by our creator into the freedom of rest. I remember the first time I was listening to this podcast, um, and uh, it's called the Bema podcast uh, with Marty Solomon, and he talked about the whole Sabbath in uh, Genesis 1 and really emphasized how this was the whole point of, of the creation account, emphasizing this rest, and it resonated so well with the people of Israel that just got delivered from slavery, and he said, your day begins with rest and not production. And I was mowing the lawn and I literally had to, to shut off the mower and just pause in reflection because I am so prone. I think all of us in our culture are so prone to identify ourselves, find our identity in what we can produce and what we can labor towards and work towards. And it's too easy to find our identity in those things. But the Sabbath reminds us that we begin our week, we begin our day with rest. And we can do that because this is God's world. It's not my world. This is his story, not my story necessarily. And that's just such an important minder. It's a healthy dose of humility, I think, that positions us correctly, postures us rightly in God's world. Third, I think the Sabbath is about a rest that actively practices trust in God. A lot of times we think that rest simply means cessation from work, like sitting there and doing nothing. No, no, no. I, rest is active, and it's something that we must practice. And I think Genesis 1 or Genesis 2 
uh, 1 through 3 actually demonstrate this. If you look closely at verse 2, this is what it says. God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So the first half of that verse makes it seem like God was actually working or finishing his work on the seventh day. And the second half of that verse makes it seem like God had already finished all his work. That's odd. These two things seem slightly contradictory, but perhaps there is something to this that the biblical writer is trying to teach us about rest. One famous medieval rabbi named Rashi offered an explanation for this kind of odd pairing in verse 2. He claimed that verse 2 is describing God creating rest. God is actually creating rest on the seventh day, which is an odd explanation in itself, because typically we think of rest as something like darkness, not something that you can create, but as the absence of creation. So we think of rest as just the absence of work, so creating rest is unnecessary. But that's the point. Rest is not just the absence of work, but the rest is something that God actually creates. Rashi is explaining that rest is active, not passive. The idea of rest is not simply about us ceasing from our work and doing nothing. More precisely, biblical rest is active, and I would say that it is about actively practicing trust in God. So this is what the Sabbath is all about. And let's be honest, it is highly countercultural in our current fast-paced, digital, busy world. We live in such a culture of busyness. We brag about our busyness. We wear it like a badge of honor. The most important person in the room is the busiest person in the room, like it's some sort of virtue or contest. And even teenagers, teenagers today are 10 times more busy than I ever was as a teenager. And maybe that's because I was uh, not being as productive as I should be. But on the other hand, I think it's deeply troubling. Because in the Lake Norman area specifically, what we see with students is they are overwhelmed with school, clubs, sports teams, extracurricular activities, and then we try to add in church activities, and they've got a packed schedule. And you compound this with unhealthy screen time and high, high expectations of success, and the results are really alarming. One in three teens claim to have an anxiety disorder, and those numbers are just steadily increasing over the past five years. Um, hospital admissions for suicidal teenagers have doubled over the past decade. So the creed of the culture is work, perform, look good, live up to this image or expectation. And sociologists agree that this has pulverized teenagers into an unprecedented bout with anxiety. And in light of all this, I think the idea of Sabbath is more profound than we think. God has created a world that goes on without us. And that realization should be sobering, not demeaning. And it should give us a healthy dose of humility. It says God is at the center of reality. And also seeing God as the center of, the, of this reality, me as a child of God, as one loved and blessed by this God, this means that I can work from acceptance and identity and not for acceptance and identity. I do not need to prove my worth to anyone, especially God. Instead, this God invites me to rest in who he says that I am, a child of God made in his image. And this is the truest thing about the world and who I am. I've heard mental health defined this way. 
Mental health is the dedication to reality at all costs. If we want to experience mental, spiritual, holistic health, then we need to trust the story of reality. We need to have a dedication to reality at all costs. And the truest thing about this world is that this is God's world. But also the truest thing about me is that I'm his. I'm made in his image. In and through Jesus, I am who I'm meant to be. And as I find my identity in Jesus, I find the truest thing about me. And that's what Sabbath is all about. So how do we actively practice a trust in God? I think there are several practices we can implement to help us along this path of better trusting God, if that's what Sabbath is about. So uh, here are three practices. Number one, practice daily silence and solitude. Psalm 4610, uh, that famous verse, be still and know that I am God. That Hebrew word for be still is rafa, and it literally means to let go of your grip. When we practice the act of stillness, we remind ourselves that we're not in control, that we have no grip on reality in terms of us being able to control it, but we are comforted by the fact that God is in control, and we can rest humbly and trust that God is on the throne. So retreat to a quiet place, put away distractions, take a few minutes every day to be still before God, take a few deep breaths, settle into the quiet, and just be. Resist the temptation to trail off into things you have to do. Realize that your identity is not in what you can accomplish, but in who Jesus is and what he has accomplished, and simply be content to be speechless in his presence. Allow these few minutes of silence to be the pause before your prayers that remind you that God is present, he's in control, and you can rest rest in him. And this leads to the next practice. Number two, pray throughout the day. So as we practice daily silence and solitude, we can couple this with asking God to speak to us and the spirit of God to work through us. Communication, right, is critical um, to any relationship. That's certainly true of our relationship to God. As we ask God to speak to us, we then further symbolize our trust in him and recognition of his lordship by seeking him in prayer. We bring our needs to him because we recognize he is the provider of all. Everything we need is in him. He's the Lord of the universe. So prayer emphasizes our dependence. So we should take multiple times throughout the day to remind us of our need for God and celebrate his provision. Paul says we should pray without ceasing. At the very least, this means that we should just live our lives, our entire lives, honoring the nearness of God's presence and the authority of his lordship. Number three, pause once a week to rest from work. The reality is that God has set in motion the fulfillment of our work in Jesus. He's won the victory for all the toil and labor. We can rest in the fact that God has done it. Jesus claimed that he was the Lord of the Sabbath in Mark 2. And what does he mean by that? He means that Jesus is inaugurating the new age in which the entire Sabbath institution had always been pointing. In this sense, we, as followers of Jesus, live in a perpetual Sabbath where we can rest in the reality that the kingdom of God has come to earth in Jesus. As Jesus claimed, the kingdom of God is here. 
So does this mean that the Sabbath has been done away with? Do we still need to reflect this weekly cycle of work and rest? For one, I would say that it can still be helpful to habituate this representation of rest and testifying to God's rule and reign once a week. That can still be helpful and beneficial. It has been for me, but we should not be legalistic about it. We should not be legalistic about this institution that's been fulfilled in Jesus. Um, but secondly, while in one sense the kingdom has come, it is also still yet to come. We live in a tension where the kingdom is already and not yet. So yes, the new age of God's rule and reign, that perpetual Sabbath, has arrived in Jesus, but we still have hope. God is still at work, and the full fulfillment is yet to come. There will come a day when all things will be made new under Jesus' lordship. And we still have that hope. And in, in as much as the Sabbath is about celebrating our future hope in the present rhythms of life, we continue to set aside time each week. If we continue to redeem our time, orient our lives and our time around that future reality now. It is still beneficial, although the institution has begun its fulfillment in Jesus. So practically, this means that we should dedicate one day a week to especially celebrate how Jesus has brought the kingdom and will ultimately bring the kingdom at the end of the age. We pause, we cease from our work, and we posture ourselves to receive God's blessing and rest. For my wife and I, since my work day is Sunday, we typically pause from all work from Saturday night or from Friday night to Saturday night. It begins with the meal Friday night. We all sit down at the table. Um, I kind of, I've started lighting a candle to just give some special or unique significance to this meal and students laugh at me for that. But I think it's a, a great symbol of just giving a special moment to this meal and this time that we're about to enter into. Um, I pray for all of us at the dinner table. Typically my kids will do their prayer like the God Our Father song <laughs> at the dinner table, and we don't stop them from doing that. Um, but for the meal on Friday night, I pray for the family and just specifically thank God for this time of rest that we're about to enter into, asking him to uh, remind us of the fact that this is a picture of the full arrival of the kingdom. Um, and then after we eat, maybe we clean up, maybe we don't. Uh, but the next 24 hours or so are then just filled with time together as a family, having fun, doing dance parties in the kitchen, building forts. Maybe we watch a family movie. Maybe we go to the park the next morning. But all of the activity that we take for the next 24 hours is restful activity where we emphasize and communicate to us and one another that we have victory in Jesus. We can simply be. And in that is ultimate gratitude and joy. Now, I realize for our students, this talk of ceasing from work and having a healthy rhythm of work and rest may sound a bit premature, but I don't really think it is. Many of the students don't have jobs or work for money per se, but they are full-time students, and as we've said, they're very busy teenagers. In all of this busyness, I would strongly recommend that students have a day where they cease. They emphasize trusting in God, and they especially celebrate Jesus's victory and rest in him. Sundays are a great day for students to start. There's a lot of things already built into their schedule 
to help emphasize the victory of Jesus. And they could just add practical things to that day where they're not doing homework or they're not doing work or laboring so that they can emphasize the rest that they can have. They could devote Sunday to completely celebrating God's rule and reign and emphasize that so that they can trust in him. Now, again, I don't think it's helpful to be legalistic about these things. It's not just some rule that we want to abide by for the sake of abiding by a rule, but it is a practice or a habit that can help shape your heart to develop greater trust in God. So let's close with the words of Jesus. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Praise God for the rest that we have in Jesus. And praise God that he's on the side.